So good morning. I'm going to actually just sort of sit here because um, I was actually I was someplace I don't remember where it was now, but they asked me before I even started, um, "Will you stay in one spot?" <laughs> I said, "I can do that." Really? You can? I said, "Yeah, I can. It's not a big deal for me, you know. It's, I'm okay with staying in one spot." So, do you have any prayer needs before we get into the service? Anything going on that people? Well, let's pray before I start. Would you, Father, there are so many needs going on in our world, in our community, in our families. Just this one, just the father-in-law in the hospital, struggling, struggling, Lord, with life and the effects of life. We pray, Father, for them and, uh, Father, for all the needs that are just upon our hearts, our own struggles, our own lives. We pray for Pastor and his family. Uh, Lord, lift them up to you. We pray, Father, for district conference that's coming up this week. Pray, Father, for wisdom for those that will be meeting. Father, I pray over this message today that you would use it for your purpose and your kingdom's uh, advancement. Help us, Father, in that endeavor. In Christ's name, amen. So, Pastor Steve, if you remember, um, last week talked about Matthew chapter 5, and specifically loving your neighbor as yourself, right? I, uh, and so I asked him if, with his permission, I'd like to, I'd like to uh, expound, if you will, on that. I'd like to take that a little bit further with some other ideas with respect to that. So that's what we're going to do. Loving your neighbor and beyond. Okay, how many know that it's easy to love your neighbor, but it's not so easy to love those people on the television sometimes? and those politicians and those people that are uh, doing whatever they're doing because they're right. Um, they are. I have a saying that I coined a lot of years ago that says you are the most dangerous to the kingdom of God when you're right. You're the most dangerous to your marriage when you're right. You're the most dangerous to your family when you're right. doesn't matter, but when you're right, guess what? Everyone else is wrong. And I can tell you that I have gotten into that place with my wife at times where I have been right, and I paid for it. Do I hear an amen? So, remember that Pastor Steve looked at this verse. You have heard what the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you in a way And in that way, you will be acting as true children of the Father in heaven. And he pointed out that they had added that first part, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And I love that. I hadn't even thought about that before. But I have been doing some messages last week, I believe, and the week before about loving your neighbor. And I I do that because I believe that that's where we as the church need to go. But I think that part of what we need to learn how to do is get over ourselves and look into a bigger picture. Because I think that the problem with loving your neighbor is that we're not really doing it and not getting it, and we're missing a lot of what God has asked us to do. And that's a problem. And so this morning, what I want to do is just take a few moments. By the way, if you're accustomed to watching my videos, you know that I'm I don't talk long. In fact, my weekly videos are usually about three minutes to three and a half minutes. 
So Sunday videos are 10 to 13 minutes. So guess what? You may be out of here real early. But I want you to look at this verse again. And I've underlined and highlighted some aspects about it. You have heard that the law says, love your what? Your neighbor. I want you to think about that. It is not plural. It is singular. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Both singular. But Jesus says, no, you are to love your enemies. Plural. Pray for those, plural, who persecute you. And in that way, you will be acting as true what? Children, plural, multiple. And when I looked at this, I thought, this is interesting because what they were doing, what the Jews were doing, was make this very personal. And I think there is a personal aspect of that. And I think that personally, we need to know how to love our neighbor. We need to know how to love our enemies, and, but I think we can sit here and say, we do that. But we watch television sometimes, and we watch the people who are protesting or whatever they're doing, and we don't have too much love for them. It's easy to love your neighbor, but it's not so easy to love some other groups of people that are not our neighbors, at least not as we think. And I think what Christ is saying is, is that we as a people as a body of Christ, as the church, need to be in a place that we are loving large groups of people. How do we do that? What would that ultimately look like? And I think that if you look at Scripture, throughout Scripture, God has focused his attention on something greater than one. Now think about that. What does that look like? What does that look like? It says, let us make what? Mankind. God said, let us, because God is what? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not one, although he is one. He's three in one. But Abraham was called to be what? The father of many. I know there's Isaac, but because of Isaac and because of what Abraham's promise was, it was about the multitudes that would follow. Multitudes. Moses was the leader of what? A nation. Prophets spoke to the nations of Israel and Judah. Think about that. Remember that the the Egyptians didn't like who? Their neighbor, the Israelites, all of them. Not just one or two, all of them. Didn't like them. And what God is saying is that God has called people in groups. He told Abraham that he would have many, many offspring. And so when you look at that, what do you think? Here's a verse, and I thought it was interesting when I looked at this verse, a verse that's familiar to you. John (coughs) 3.16. For God so loved what? The world. Now, it's true that he loves individually. Don't miss that point. I'm not saying that he doesn't. But what I'm saying is, is that God has a world view that we need to have. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Singular. 
only son that whoever, anyone who would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so what is that telling us? Part of what that is telling us is that God had a world focus when he sent his son Christ to die. Think about that. Because what I want to, what I wonder is, do we have a world focus when we're thinking about loving our neighbors as ourselves? Are we having a world focus when we are to love our enemies? Or is it just the guy across the street? I was surprised when I looked at John 3.16 and I, because I had never thought about the fact that God sent his son to the world. <clears throat> now the key there is what? Whosoever believes, anyone who believes will not perish, which is an individual response. What do you do when you lose all of your paper, your, your notes? So what am I saying? Jesus came to save the world. What would happen if we looked at the world with the same view? God looked at the world and said, the world needs a savior. How do we see the world? Do we see the world as needing a savior? Because if we do, guess what the savior is? It is Jesus Christ. And the vehicle for getting Jesus Christ out there is what? Us. Us. You and me. We are the vehicle from which the message, the gospel, is to emanate from. It is not to get out there by some haphazard way. And I've thought about our response. I've thought about that and I've wondered, how well are we doing? How well are we doing? How's it working for us? How's it working for you? How's it working for me? So part of the way that I find that we can do this, and I think this is what is important, I spent a lot of years as a counselor, and I did a lot of marriage and family counseling. And one of the things that I used to try to do was to get people focused not upon each other, but upon something else that will draw them together to work on something together. What would that look like? Well, in a marriage, it would be asking a question, what's good for my marriage? And what I realized was that when I started to look at what's good for my marriage, I behaved and acted differently. Because the marriage became the greater good, if you will. And I've thought about how important that is because when I'm working on my marriage, guess what happens to it? It gets better. One of the things that I love to do, and I did this last night as I was winding this down, I asked my wife, I said, honey, if I were the best husband you could ever imagine, what would that look like? And she's heard that enough to know how to answer that. It used to be, well, I don't know. Well, now it's, could you get the hot tub ready for me? Could you go and uh, run into town and pick up something for me? I've learned to ask that of my children and my grandchildren. If I were the best dad or the best grandpa, what would that look like? And oftentimes you are already the best. No, I'm, but I'm serious. What would that look like? 
And so I guess the question that we need to learn how to ask is those questions of what's good for my marriage? If I were the best husband in this marriage, what would that look like? How about this? What would be good for my family? What would happen if we as dads or moms asked that question? What would be good for my family right now? Would you know that maybe it's not being selfish? Maybe it's demonstrating that my family is important. Again, I think the the question that we can be asking, and I've asked this of neighbors, if I'm the best neighbor you could ever expect to have, what would that look like? Because I want to be the best neighbor that they could ever have. When I die or move away, I want them to say, we want someone like them. Does that make sense? Because if we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, we need to know how to do that. And the problem is, is what they need is not necessarily what you need or I need. And the best way to find out is ask the question. What would that look like if I were, what's good for my family? What would that look like to my family? How about this? What's good for my community? What's good for Kerwinsville? that we as a body of Christ could be giving? What's good for them? What do they need? Now we might sit here and say, well, they need Jesus, so we'll go put tracks on their doors. Eh, probably not. Right? How How about this? Well, what's good for my country? Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you get this? The idea of what's good is not necessarily what I think is good. But if I'm going to communicate love, if I'm going to communicate respect and honor, I'm going to have to do it in a language that they understand. And that's the difficult part. My wife and I grew up in different homes. Her father passed away when she was 12. And so her life was much different than mine. And when we got married, and one of the things that happened in her family was a thing called anger. It was not a nice thing in her growing up. In fact, what she thought the best thing you should do to anger was quiet it, suppress it, don't allow it. Now, I grew up somewhat with the same idea, but because because I grew up in in a family that said anger wasn't allowed. Well, when we got married, guess what? It was a problem. Anger was a problem because neither one of us knew how to really deal with it. It took us a lot of years to find out how to deal with anger and not take it personally. Have anyone of you, any of us been angry this week? No, I'm never angry. I'm annoyed. I'm frustrated. I'm perturbed. I'm miffed. But no, I'm not angry. Not at all. <laughs> Denial is a wonderful thing, isn't it? And so when we start asking the question of what's good for my marriage or what's good for my family or what's good for my community or country, I think the answers will become different than what we think they are. And how are you going to know? If I ask you what's good for his family, what are you going to tell me? You can tell me, well, he needs a new car. Because the one he's got is junk. And maybe that's his classic. And he loves 
that 52 Chevy. They wouldn't drive anything else. So, so when you're, when you're looking at this and asking those questions, you see, the church so loved the world that he gave. I mean, if we think about ourselves as representing God, then we need to be a group and a body that what? That gives just as the Father gave his Son. I mean, can you imagine the Christ saying, well, Dad, what does the world need? Because I'd like to find a way to give it to them. And Dad says, they need a Savior, son. Oh, cool, who are you going to send? Not you. Doesn't sound like it's going to be fun, does it? But guess what the world needs? The church. And guess who the church is? You and me. And guess what we're called to do? Sacrifice. But we don't like that too much, do we? I mean, sacrifice means what? For some people, going from $100,000 a year down to 80000 is a sacrifice. For some of you, that would be heaven. Right? And so sacrifice is always fluctuates. But I do believe that when God sent his son, he is sending his son as an example to us because as the body of Christ, we're to be a sacrifice unto the world. And what does that look like? Well, I believe that part of the way that it looks is we need to know what the world needs. Now, true, they need salvation, but sometimes they need food before they need salvation. Does that make sense? It's interesting to me that sometimes what people need is to be loved and accepted before they hear the gospel. And so, in this whole idea, in this whole idea of the church so loved the world that it gave, the question is, what are we as a body of Christ willing to give our community? What are we as a body of Christ willing to give those around us? We as a body of Christ, how are we going to love our neighbors? Collectively. Not singularly, but collectively, how are we going to do it? Because here is the goal. This would be the goal. The goal would be that if you walked up to anyone in this community and said, I'm looking for a people that would love me, and they would say, we know exactly who that would be. Why? Because you've already demonstrated it as a body, as a group. Because when God said to love our neighbors as ourselves, he's talking about the entirety of Judaism, of Israel, was to love their neighbors, their other countries around them, in such a way as they would see God through the nation of Israel. And people need to see Christ through the church. And guess what? A lot of times that doesn't happen, does it? Sadly, what often happens is we see bitterness, we see anger, we see distrust, we see a host of other things. And my challenge to us, and I say us because it's my challenge as well, my challenge is, number one, I think, I think we need to do something I say a lot of. It's not that. What would happen if the world, <laughs> where did that slide come from? I don't even know where it came from. But anyway, it's up there, right? So what would happen if, in our world if we, the church, what? What would happen? Started loving our world and the people in it. Not just our neighbors, but our world. 
Because when you think about your neighbors, the neighbor might be the country to the north or the country to the south. Those are our neighbors. And so what would happen? So I want you, as we wrap this up, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about how, are, how am I doing? How are we doing? And are we doing the gospel and the ministry to which God has called us to? Are we willing to ask the questions of what do they need? And the way that you start asking the questions is simple. You start asking the questions by asking your spouse, if I were the best husband, if I were the best wife, what would that look like? If you're a son or a daughter, asking dad and mom, if I were the best son or daughter, what would that look like? You get it. It doesn't matter what position you're in. If you're an employee, asking your boss, if I were the best employee, what would that look like? If I were the best boss, what would that look like? If I was the best neighbor, what would that look like for my neighbors? But the person you're going to have to ask that to is the person whom you're trying to love. And I know there are some neighbors that would say, the best way you can be my neighbor is don't bother me, stay off my lawn, and I don't want to see you. Yesterday I was mowing at my daughter's house and I asked my, I brought my tractor up and I was, so I could bag the grass because I hate grass, you know, clumps. And so I asked my son-in-law, where should I dump it? And he told me, well, I misunderstood and I caught my grandson waving, like, get out of there, you know. And I found out later I was on their neighbor's property who's a meanie. <laughs> He would not have been happy if I, he wasn't happy that I was driving my tractor on his lawn. And he would have been much unhappier if he found out I was dumping dead grass in his trees. Are you willing to ask the question? Are you willing as a body of believers to ask the question of those around you in your community and beyond? If I was the best neighbor... If I was the best Christian you ever knew, what would that look like? Because one of the things that I've realized is if you don't understand where they're coming from, you can't love them. If you can't understand what they need, they won't hear you. So when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he was saying, love your neighbors, plural. And then... And then you will be what? You will be children of God. True children of God. That's what Jesus said. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us to a higher place than what we could ever imagine. Thank you that you, your desire for us is greater than just our immediate circle. You have called us to be your ambassadors, both here, there, and everywhere. It's not just what we give to missionaries to do. It's what we've been given to do. Help us, Father, to learn to ask the question of others. Wherever we are, no matter who they are, learning to ask the question so that we might be able to truly give of ourselves, of our time, of our talents, and whatever else they might need. In Jesus' name, amen.